and welcome along to Property Development Live. My name's Paul Merrick. And with me today are... Martin Davis. Hi, I'm Margaret Ann Merrick. I'm really looking forward to today's show because today I get to speak with someone who is not just a colleague, but also a friend. I've known Walter Woods, the architect, for over 20 years, and he's been a major part of our team. And today we're going to discuss with Walter some of his history and how he got into architecture, some of his experience in property development, and also how the current climate and the shutdown is affecting him and his business. And I know, Martin, you met Walter much more recently than me, but it would be really good to hear your input. I met Walter with you about three years ago. We were talking about a project. And the thing that impressed me, first of all, he's a remarkably welcoming person, very much a people person. But when we actually started talking business, before we actually got down to well, what is it that you actually want? He was actually trying to understand exactly what the project was, who the end market was, what the end market was. And it was really trying to get down inside your head in terms of what you were trying to produce and what the target end person really was before we actually ever started talking about design. And I think you've had some experience in the past of working with different architects. Did Walter strike you as being different than other architects you've met? Absolutely. Really, I suppose, because of the time he actually spent trying to get to understand what what your real requirement was. Sometimes you kind of, sometimes when I have talked to other architects, you feel you want something and they've already got a fixed idea in their head immediately. And it's really, you have to do all the work in trying to bridge the gap. Um, With Walter, he was actually reaching out to you first. And our experience of working with Walter is we've worked very, very closely for a very long time. And we've always found that he understands me as a developer and he understands my goal set, which is to build great houses for the end user. And he completely gets that. It's very important to him, as it's very important to us, that it's not all about the bottom line. It's about the actual customer, the person who's going to buy that house and live in that house, hopefully for a a very long time. However, he is able to work to a budget. I remember the magic line when we actually came back and he said, here is a design for the project that we were working on at the time. And what we've tried to do is to minimise the cost in the design. But still maximise the design itself. So, Walter, great to have you on the podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I just want to give you a little bit of background about myself. Uh, My father was a shepherd. I didn't particularly wish to be a shepherd. I didn't wish to uh, work in a seven-day week. Uh, as it transpires, being an architect, you do work a seven-day week, but uh, I certainly enjoy it. I started off at 17 as a uh, as a technician, and I uh, did an HNC course, uh, of which uh, was in technical and building. I moved in to the Macintosh School uh, and qualified uh, after seven long years, uh, but very enjoyable years in Glasgow. At that time, I worked for a construction company, 
So I did quite a lot of work on major buildings, which I was involved in, and then I moved to a house builder. It was at that time I realised that uh, there was a lot more to housing than what I was doing as a house builder. Um, as the house builder's houses just were plonked down on a street. I, I kind of felt then that being an architect was a bit more than being working for a house builder. Uh, having worked in private practice on lots of uh, varied projects, I would say from nursing homes to convents to car showrooms, I still really did have a passion for housing. So when I started in my own practice, which was Slorik Wood Architects, that was back in about 1991, we started off with doing anything we could, which was small buildings, uh, extensions. The, the business uh, logic was everybody has a home. So if I can get somebody and I design their home, uh, I may well uh, be lucky enough to uh, get them, if they were a factory owner, to build them a factory or to to do any other items like that. So that was a business logic, but to be honest, the passion was housing. Um, so we kind of, we kind of, me and one lad, Grant, uh, started off. We just um, developed the practice and pushed one-off housing and extensions of a contemporary style. And we've just kind of progressed that uh, through the years, bringing in other people. Uh, the guys that are in my office have been with me for, as much as 20, 25 of the 30 years we've been together. We're, we are a big family. There's 10 of us, and we do everything. But again, as I say, the passion is housing. You've also done some property development. So tell us how that started. When I moved into my first house, which was an old smiddy, I actually converted that myself. So we bought it, demolished it practically. It was a listed building and then started to rebuild it with my own hands and my wife and my son. And we, we took two and a half years and we built it, and we built it into what is still our family home today. So it had it's still a traditional building with all these modern bits added onto it. So that's where I am with a, with a, that's where I started off thinking, this is the way to develop. You can look at it, you can put it together yourself, you can think about it, and you can build it. So that made it easier for when we thought we should uh, start to develop on our own. It was a very convenient time that we did this because banks wanted to give you money. So it was it became quite easy to do that. And, uh, and we took that on. You were doing your development before the 2007 crash when it was much easier to get funding. But what was it that made you want to get into development? Some of the clients that we, we had were not particularly design savvy so we felt that we um that to, to actually build what we actually wanted to design that we should start off um property ourselves we bought sites maybe three houses and we designed our own housing so we designed them in what we thought was on a much more architectural scale and were relatively successful in the sense that we did fours and fives and sixes and fours and fives and built up a, a bit of credibility, moved on to larger developments, which included uh, probably our major one, which was about 30 units, um, which was a farmsteading conversion and also new build. And the idea was that we were trying to promote architecture, but also give them quality housing uh, and obviously make money as a developer. 
So we've developed that through uh, for a number of years, and then obviously after the crash, uh, decided to revert back to architecture again and let other people do the development um, side of it. Uh, and that's really us now. This proves that development is not for everyone. Even a qualified architect, without the right help, can sometimes get it wrong. How did it go wrong for you? Well, we had, a, I mean, basically we had quite a bad uh, experience in the sense that we had sold almost everything that we had built, but we still had a few plots left, so we were still indebted to the banks. Uh, they would not allow us, they would not give us any money at all to allow us to finish off our sites. And it just became, uh, we were in a position where we were lucky enough not just to be developers, that we were architects as well. And it became quite stressful uh, to, to, to go through it. It took us five years to get everything sorted out. Um, we paid every penny that we owed to everyone. Um, but the banks uh, just would not give us anything. We ended up selling them. Uh, the, the the outstanding plots to a developer that we knew who then took us on as his architect, which was very kind of him, and uh, he sold them uh, quicker than he could build them, which was even more ironic, and uh, that was the end of it for me. Uh, I just decided then that I would try and stick to try to be a an architect and help other people, because I'm, I'm still very interested in development, but help other people to, to do the developments and uh, and just take my share as the architect and try and assist with that. We've always seen ourselves as a practice, as a trying to think outside the box and not just be your architect that just draws lines for people and says, this is your building. Architecture is about listening to people and listening and then giving them your experience and letting them understand what you think you should be doing. And that is a big thing in development as well, I think. I think one of the best developments you've ever done is your office. So yes, that's right, Paul. We um, we actually uh, we had an office in South Queens Ferry for a number of years, and we spotted this building up at the railway station at Dalmeny Station, and it had been sitting as a derelict property for oh, it must have been fifteen, twenty years, and it uh, it was going to be used as a restaurant uh, conversion for the. Oh, uh, the centenary of the fourth bridge, which was 1990, I think, because it was built in 1890. Uh, but this never transpired, and the building was just left to, in ruin. So we tried our damnedest to buy this building, and it took ages. The planning department weren't happy because it was a listed building, and we wanted to put a modern extension on it. Um, so we really were quite wary about buying it. But eventually we bought the property for a very reasonable amount and uh, the took it to planning and what we did was uh, we, we needed this property to have three floors in it it was a single story building but it was listed listed grade a it was a part of the station and it was a part of the railway bridge as such We've got accountants on the ground floor and we have the middle floor as an architect's business in there it's got central meeting room facilities for everyone, central reception. And in fact, at the moment, we're about to uh, do some more alterations to change it because of the change in uses of people. So we're actually changing it so that we're creating more office space and, and a smaller meeting room um, and going to have a more electronic kind of finish to it all. Having known you for over 20 years, 
and having seen most of your developments, I would say your office is your most financially successful one. Absolutely, Paul. It's, it's definitely our most successful development. It's probably our most successful uh, architectural uh, development because it is the architect's business that, that, that actually owns part of the building. But it is most definitely that. It's paid for itself. Uh, it takes rent in on a monthly basis. Um, and it, it is definitely the most successful building. It's sitting there, and when we retire, I have got one partner uh, involved in this, and when we both retire, that will be the time when we decide whether it should be sold or continues. But it, it basically, is, it works uh, absolutely perfectly, even so much so that we rent out the roof as well as all the floors. We've got um, PV panels on the roof. Uh, we were lucky enough to do it when... Uh, the rates were extremely favourable for us, and the rental on that roof is equivalent of one of the biggest offices in the building. I mean, it does nothing, but every time the sun shines, it makes me money. As a commercial property, was it funded through a SAS or some form of pension? Uh, no, I haven't. No, it was funded through the business. We borrowed. We borrowed. Uh, it cost hundred. The, the, the building itself only cost eleven thousand pounds to buy. Um, we borrowed the money from the bank. Uh, I had to bring in a partner because at the time we weren't particularly well off. Um, so we, we actually put in £20,000 of our own money, borrowed money from the bank, and our, uh, our silent or our other partner put in £20,000. The rest of the money came from the bank to total up the 120000 and uh, And it's, it's sat like that. It should have gone into a pension. I, I probably advised myself badly. SASs or pensions are always a great way to fund a commercial development. We have helped several people over the years do this. What size is it? The, the size is around 2,000 2, square feet, I think it is, and we are clearing about 40 grand a year. Touchwood, we have never had an empty office for more than six weeks, for 20 years. And the, the, the benefit of having multiple small offices is that we've got offices that will seat one to three people, and we have offices that go up to about 10 people. And there's five different offices, all varying in scales, and it means that there's always someone, either a startup or, or someone that's moving on. That So the people that will move in here, we've had people that have moved in and they've had an office for three, and then they've asked if they can move into an office for eight, and then they've asked if they can move into an office for 10 or 12, and then the ones that are maybe larger have moved on and someone else has always been ready to move in to the next office. So we've been very lucky, but it has worked as a, as a, as a kind of um, principle of having mixed offices and giving them the assurance that what we have is this meeting room, which is communal. Uh, we have the facilities of photocopiers and phone systems and now video calling, which is what we intend to do, which I think is going to become probably something in the future, that they they might only have a little office of, of one or two people, but when somebody comes to visit them, they, they meet in the meeting room, everybody has got an equal share in the communal area of the office, and uh, so it gives them all this kind of credibility, and it's just worked really well. It has worked really well. And, and I actually have a waiting list, actually, of people that want to move into the office at the moment. Could you help people do something like your development? 
Yes, we could. I mean, it is uh, the times are different now, and it is not as easy to find these these buildings as it used to be. But they're still out there. They're still out there. But they're not simple. Planning isn't a simple process. Isn't a simple process that uh, that everybody seems to think it is. And nowadays, the build uh, these sites are few and far between. I think when we were boys, Paul, it was a wee bit easier because there were lots of sites out there. Uh, the sites now are not that easy to find. So perhaps that's something we could help people with through Property Development Live. We could find the sites and you could do the planning consent and maybe help them a little bit with your experience of actually running a development like that. Yes, that's very possible, uh, Paul. We've uh, we've done a number of developments, uh, uh, projects like that. And uh, uh, I think that as a team together with your experience in looking at sites and finding sites, uh, then we certainly uh, would then come along uh, very quickly. I mean, I always say it's never too early to get your architect on board. However, um, uh, we we do not have the experience of, of finding sites like, like, like yourselves. Um, and once we did that, we would bring in our knowledge of, of the planning laws and how we would uh, approach these buildings, whether they needed changes of use or uh, just straightforward planning. And it would be much better to get that on board quite early. Uh, and that's why you need us at that stage, I would suggest. That's certainly been my experience of working with you, Walter, is what we tend to do is once we have bought a building or once we have bought a site, I tend to kind of connect with Walter very early. And whilst I've got lots of experience as a developer, it is always great to get the architect's input really early. Yeah, I agree totally. I do agree totally, yeah. One of the points we stress here on Property Development Live is the risk involved in buying a site without planning. Because people don't realise the cost that can be involved in getting planning. And in our experience, even on small sites of four or five houses, we have spent up to £100,000 getting planning. Not the cost of the land, just the planning. That doesn't shock me, Paul. It doesn't shock me because, I mean, you, you, you have... a. Uh, Things like um, mining reports. If you had to do any borehole testing, you could be up at twenty thousand pounds getting all these tests done t between ten and twenty thousand pounds, and it needs to be taken into account. So people shouldn't be willy nilly going hard and fast buying a property or buying a site. You know, I, I don't wish to poo poo, you know, to scare people off, but these things need to be put in and accounted for at the beginning of your development plan, which is what you guys, your developers, and I did as a developer, you need to have a, produ a, produ a production plan that knows what all these fees are um, before you can then do your big fancy sums at the end. How has the shutdown affected you and your business? Yes, it has affected us uh, basically from the middle of March there was a stop when all the building sites stopped. We have basically halved our staff almost instantly. We've got a varied workload, which allows us to keep working, but uh, we have seen a major drop in, in any communication at all. All of our staff are working, are home working remotely and effectively, I have to say, because um, it's a, uh, you know, they're all working from home, but we're trying to make sure that they, they work uh, you know, efficiently, but also sensibly and make sure we have communications by Zoom at least once a day. We try and tell them to work in one hour uh, 
batches um, so that they uh, so that they're not just being um, you know isolated themselves in all honesty and that seems to be working quite well but um, it's sad times and uh, luckily we've not um, we haven't been first hand to anyone who's had a loss uh, yet and hopefully not but uh, yeah it's um, I think we would we hope to come out this a bit slicker at the other end um, whenever that is and you've furloughed some staff we have indeed yeah we've had to furlough some staff we managed to uh, get two or three weeks work but then we decided it was it was crazy and our concern would be that uh, when the staff come back to work that uh, we have to have work for them and if we um if we tried to bleed it dry there would be uh, there'd be no work when they came back so they would be sitting uh, um, waiting on the work hopefully the work coming back to us again what you're doing is you're furloughing some of the staff at the moment so that you can balance the work. So when the staff do come back, there is still plenty of work for them to get on with. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And it's a, it's a balance, but uh, it just it feels that, that that's the right way to do it because there's no point of uh, there's no point of the staff coming back and then sitting twiddling our thumbs. So we're trying to plan ahead. We reckon that there will be social uh, distancing so we're now setting up the office so that people are at least two metres apart while they're sitting in the office. Uh, so we're looking at that and, and we will put procedures together to make sure that we, uh, we adhere to that. But good to know that you, you know, you, you've been around for about 30 years and I think you'll be one of the businesses that survives this because you'll adapt as you need to do. And I think that that's what, you know, that's the lesson that we want to send out to everyone here is that in property, no matter what yeah. area you're in, whether it's development like ourselves or whether it is um, like yourselves, architect, as long as you're willing to adapt, then we'll come out the other yeah. side of this. So that was really good, Walter. I think people have got a lot from that and I think they'll have learned a great deal from today. If people want to contact you, how do they do that? Yeah, they would uh, contact us on our email address, which is uh, info at swa.uk.net. Thank you, Walter. And to my fellow hosts, Martin and Margaret Ann. Goodbye. Stay safe, everyone, and stay home. If you have enjoyed today's show, please join us again next week. And of course, in the meantime, you can go to our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. From me, Paul Merrick, from Property Development Live. Goodbye.